The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Frank Curzio. Uh, he is the editor of the Small Stock Specialist and also Phase One Investor, which is published by Stansbury & Associates Investment Research based in Baltimore. Welcome to the show, Frank. Glad to be here. Thanks, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and uh, where you got to uh, your investing expertise and leading into uh, forming of these newsletters. Yes, well, I started out have almost 20 years of investment experience, and I was fortunate where my father, my late dad, uh, ran his own newsletter, his own investment firm, and he wrote a financial newsletter, a small cap newsletter, for 25 years. And his name was also Frank Curzio. It was called the FXC uh, Letter. And that, that was his initials. And he was on TV. He was on. He was one of the the only people to predict the 1987 market crash in writing. A lot of people, even you know, in 2008, almost everybody got it right. Right? Nobody got it wrong. But even 1987, a, a lot of people predicted that crash. He actually said in his newsletter one month before it happened that uh, he actually titled it "Crash." And he said, you know, we're not recommending anything, and you should get out of the market right now because it doesn't look good. So uh, it's a, it was one of the amazing calls, and it was funny because we had this small office in Queens, New York, and all of a sudden there was a bunch of news vans, uh, probably about 15 of them uh, that day, because back then it wasn't, it wasn't like CNBC today where you see you know hundreds of people on, everybody you know, has crazy opinions sometimes. There was about 10, 12 people that, that uh, you know, the audience listened to you. My dad was one of them. And it was amazing in Queens, New York, people probably thought, you know, something like a drug deal going down because it's kind of like a basement office. But that's really how he got his business started. And I was fortunate to have him as a, as a mentor. And then as he passed, I took over the business, but I wanted uh, a little bit more experience. I wanted to, to get that Wall Street take. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, to work for Jim Cramer and be uh, his head research analyst for four years, right when he started his show, Mad Money, which was incredible. And, you know, let's face it, a lot of people have, have uh, opinions on Jim Cramer, but there's one thing is he, he, he's a brilliant guy. I mean, he devotes his whole entire life into, into stocks. He probably sleeps three hours a day. And as a, a research analyst, it's one of the best places to work because you're forced to know every single stock in every single industry. And Barron's came out with, with a piece on him saying that, you know, his performance isn't that great. And, you know, we kind of went back and, and tested his performance, and we realized that he recommended 2,000 stocks in one year. Well, I was one of those guys that was researching a lot of those stocks. Uh, after that, uh, S&A called Stansbury Associates, which were the largest uh, financial publisher in the world, uh, they called and said, hey, we'll, we like what you're doing, and we want you to come write a couple small-cap newsletters for us. And I've been working for them for three years. So in total, I've been real fortunate with the people who, who I work for. And uh, now I also have my own podcast. It's called SNA Investor Radio. It's ranked number one on iTunes. And that is a testament to my audience, which is really cool and a lot of guests that I'm lucky to have. And, you know, I just love stocks. I love what I do. I don't really even consider a job sometimes, and I've just been very fortunate. So tell us about what kind of stocks you like, particularly in the small stock area. What are the uh, things you're looking for in, in a stock that you want to recommend? It's a good question. Uh, when you're writing newsletters, 
uh, you have to understand your audience. And sometimes it's easy when you have a system in place and say, well, you know, if these three three things trigger, uh, then you should, you know, buy this small cap stock. And I have to tell you, there's no system in place for small caps. It all depends. I know it, it's tough. It's a tough sell. It's tough to write about that. But uh, in today's market, uh, I, I've said, and, and I'm a modest guy because I do recommend small caps, which is a tough market and go back and forth really quick, especially today. Well, the past couple of years, last year and I think 2013, it's the best year I've ever seen for small cap stocks. Now, I don't mean that the Russell 2000 is going to go a lot higher and had a great year, but in a market that we have today where you're not seeing as many investors in the marketplace, you're not seeing that many hedge funds in the marketplace, when these companies do report bad news, sometimes the stocks, instead of falling 5%, 10%, they'll fall 30 to 40%. And when they do, that's when it's worth taking a look. Why did they fall? Uh, biotech is a great example. Maybe a company had bad phase two, phase three studies. And these companies fall so much that they'll trade for cash. And then, you know, it's my job to analyze their pipeline. What other stocks do they have? What's their assets worth? So sometimes you'll look at some of these biotechs and say, well, the sell-off is down tremendously, especially over the past 18 months, and we've been able to take advantage of a lot of stocks within the biotech sector because people quickly run to the exits. So if you're looking for strategies, uh, it depends on what industry. Uh, sometimes if it's conservative stocks, you're looking at cash flow, cash flow generation, how many years in a row that they uh, raise their dividend. If you're looking for, for small caps that pay a dividend, which I'm, I'm hoping we get to a little bit later because it's fantastic opportunities. Uh, if you're looking for, for companies, uh, it doesn't necessarily go down to the fundamentals where you're saying, okay, they have to earn something because there's biotechs that have the potential to be big blockbusters. And as you, your audience probably knows, if you're looking at, at the patents that are coming, you know, all the drugs coming off patents, it's not yesterday's news. If you're looking over the next six years, there's $270 billion of drugs and patents coming offline, and that accounts for some of these big guys. You're talking about Pfizer, Merck, a lot of these big companies. It accounts for anywhere from 15 to 30 to 40% of their revenue. So these guys are looking to partner with a lot of these biotech companies, and if things go good and studies go well, then you see, you know, Glaxo take over, you know, Human Genome Sciences, which was $8. Uh, very speculative name, that was $40, but people also hated it at $8 which I like to see, and we, you know, we took advantage and bought it a couple weeks later. Luckily, with the timing, it got taken over. And if you just look at some of these companies, say, like Human Genome, uh, you know, you see, well, the company's not earning anything. It's actually trading. It was trading less than where their signature drug, which has been listed, uh, only drug uh, approved for, for lupus in the past 50 years. It was trading below when that got approved. So these are the sellers we're seeing in a lot of different industries. So, you know, if you're asking a different, a specific style, it all depends on what industry we're looking at, and that could be, Earnings, it could be same store sales, but the thing is with small caps is you have to analyze every piece of data within every piece within the whole company. So, how has the small cap market changed? I mean, you're saying there's less liquidity, there are fewer analysts uh, analyzing small companies, uh, hedge funds are playing them less because they need big liquid names. How has the small cap marketplace changed recently? They still have the same number of small sell-side analysts covering these stocks. It's just the money going into them, there's not a lot of money. So they're extremely volatile where, you know, if you see bad news on some of these stocks, instead of going down 5%, they'll, they'll crash 20 25%. They'll start down 5 7% during the day, and you watch it during the day just get hit where investors are so afraid, and they should. I mean, 2008, you know, before 2008, we were told, you know, hey, hold long term and you'll be fine, you know, and – Hey, you're looking at retirees, you know, for me, I'm 40 years old and, you know, I have a lot of working power, but when you're retired and you're 65 and you see, you know, your home value get cut in half and, and your 401k, you know, down 50, 60% and you have no working power, you're worried. And that translates into a market today where people are really quick to run to the exits. 
So for, for guys that are really into this small cap market and analyzing these stocks and have, you know, have, have analyzed so many stocks in the small cap area for such a long time, it's really good because sometimes you get the chance to buy real brand name stocks, really good names down 20, 30, 40% from their highs. And, you know, let, let's face it, price is everything, right? I mean, you have to get in a good price. If you do, you could weather a lot of volatility and you could also participate in gains in years ahead and you're able to hold it long term based on the price you're buying. Now, a lot of people in the market have spent a lot of time with this, would, would do something like watch CNBC or even Jim Cramer and basically follow what he says. And the next morning is a huge gap up or down, huge volume, and then it kind of goes away. Is that dangerous to just kind of follow a guru and just go along with the crowd? Yeah, it's extremely dangerous. But what I would tell you is don't ignore it. Uh, if Jim Cramer has an idea that you really like, write it down, put it in a spreadsheet, take a look at it. I mean, especially in, in today's market, you, you don't have to pay it for anything. No matter how much you like a stock, I'm sure you'll get it for a much better price. I mean, you know, we're seeing Apple, which, you know, people call the greatest stock in the world. It's down 200 points, uh, trading at, what, 11, 12 times forward earnings. So uh, when you find these gurus, especially when they come out every quarter, and you'll see, you know, an Ackman or, you know, some of these, these large investors in Einhorn, buy into some of these stocks. Are they shorting Herbalife or something like that? You, just, you don't want to follow them after the news. I mean, it's the worst thing you could do. But if you really like the idea and you like what's going on, write them down and, and pay attention to them. And, you know, if you do like it, scale into these positions. I mean, I think one of the biggest mistakes investors make is, you know, they fall in love with a stock and they'll buy a full position right away. There's nothing wrong if it takes six months, even a year, to scale into positions to, to you know, help your cost basis and, and you know, improve your cost basis. But that's one of the, the advice I give to my subscribers, where if you like something, you know, be patient, especially in today's market. There's no reason to pay it for anything. Now, you have various what you call money management rules, and your number one rule is to place a stop loss on all your positions. Maybe describe what a stop loss is, and, and where do you place that? If you place it too close to the current price, you'll get stopped out and lose out on opportunities, or you don't want to fall back too much. What, what kind of stop losses should people put in on stocks they like? Uh, for stocks that we like, we usually use anywhere from 25% to 35% stop losses. And that means if the company goes down 30 or 25% from your, from the price you bought it at, then you should sell. You don't place these stops in the market. It's like showing your hand. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate where, you know, I've been in this business a long time and I have a lot of subscribers. So, uh, if I have, you know, tens of thousands of people, uh, and I say, hey, you know, sell this stock if it hits $10 and we have tens of thousands of people going to the market putting a stop order at 10, the market may could see this, and I can guarantee it's going to get hit, and the stock going to fall 15% immediately. So you want to keep track of these stocks in your head or, or a system or put them in your computer when they hit them. Uh, definitely hit the you got to follow your stop losses, and that might mean you sell out of a really good company, and maybe two years later it's higher. But you never know what the future holds. And the reason I've been writing a small-cap newsletter uh, for longer than 20 years, or for almost 20 years, is because uh, I have defensive strategies. And I've seen a lot of people who write small-cap newsletters that don't, and they're out of business now. So the name of the game is to protect your capital as much as you can. Because if you have a, a market like a recession in 2002, 1987, or even in 2008 when the market ultimately collapses, when you're getting out of these stocks, sure, you're taking a 20, 25% stop loss here or there. But you know what? That's capital that you have in your money. You're not taking an 80% loss because once that capital is gone, it's gone for good. So now, you know, you're sitting there with capital, and, yeah, the loss hurts a little bit. But you know what? You can invest. Think about 2008, early 2009 when the market really got hit. Instead of having no money, now you're looking at 25% of the S&P 500 companies traded below $10 at the bottom in March. And you're talking about very, very good companies in S&P 500 that you were able to buy. 
And think about those returns now, two, 300% returns. So you want to protect your capital at all costs. It's a tough rule to follow, but it's one of my top rules. That's why I've been around so long. One of your other rules is to set up a buy up to price. You're finding that some people just jump into it and, and everybody's jumping at the same time. So they're buying at too high a price. Is that what you're saying? Yes, and that's unfortunate because when you do have a lot of subscribers and you come up with a good idea, I'm sure if you recommend stocks or anybody out there as a newsletter writer, there's some ideas that, that your subscribers are going to like more than others, just the way it is. And people like speculative stocks sometimes. So, you know, you, you'll come up with a name and say, you know, buy it, you know, within 10% of the price I'm telling you. And once I come out with that recommendation, sometimes it'll immediately pop on a recommendation. And, you know, I, I have strict rules when I say do not buy it above this price. So we have buy up to prices, and people would say, well, you know, I missed it. Well, 90% of the time that I've been doing this, those stocks usually come back in for us a week or two later. And so a lot of traders will jump on board and try to make a quick profit, and that stock will really come into our buy up to price. Our time frame is 12 to 18 months, not two days. So we tell people be patient on the buy up to price. We usually have a buy up to price where, you know, probably about 75 even more percent or even more of our subscribers can get in. And uh, we tell people, you know, it's set in stone. Don't buy it higher than that because it, it would significantly reduce your returns. Uh, so, you know, we keep that buy up to price on every single one of my recommendations. And your third money management rule is to diversify your portfolio. I mean, everybody says that, but what, what is the appropriate level of diversification? It's true. Everybody does say that. And, and it's hard because I'm a realist and I've been in this business for a long time. I know that probably about 90% of my subscribers are not going to buy every one of my situations. I try to tell them to buy every one of my situations because people will say, well, Frank, you know, what's your favorite pick right now? If I had one of my favorite picks, I only recommend one stock in my newsletter. Uh, sometimes uh, the ones that I think are my favorite picks might not work out and others might. So, you know, over long term, if, if you, you know, have a history of producing really good returns of beating the market, but that's by you know, diversifying and buying all my stocks. Now, with that said, when I say diversifying, my newsletter is small caps. Uh, I try to provide as little risk as possible within these small caps, but there's still risk in their small caps. So within small caps, maybe you have 20, 25% of your portfolio in some of these. I mean, these aren't high-risk stocks that are going to go to zero. These aren't micro-cap penny stocks. These are really good beams. Uh, that means you should have 401Ks. You should have a large-cap stock allocation. Maybe you have real estate. But within the 20% or 25% in small caps, then you should diversify within the names that I'm recommending. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Frank Curzio. Uh, he is the editor of the Small Stock Specialist and also the Phase One Investor Newsletter uh, put out by Stansbury Associates and Associates. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Are you and your family in debt? Today, over 40% of American households are spending more than they make. And that means our society is getting deeper and deeper in debt. Escape the debt trap. 
with host and attorney Kenneth Neely, is here to help you avoid the problems involved with debt, including rebuilding credit, filing bankruptcy, short-selling your home, resolving IRS tax problems, and much more. Escape the Debt Trap airs live every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjoke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Frank Curzio. Uh, He is the editor of the Small Stock Specialist newsletter and also the Phase One Investor newsletter uh, published by Stansbury & Associates. Welcome back to the show, Frank. Uh, Thanks for being here. And tell people uh, how they can find out more about it. And also, you have a radio and a podcast. Tell people how they can uh, hear more, more about what you're doing. Yeah, they, they can go to stansberryresearch.com or they can contact uh, 888-261-2693. And the final thing is you could just uh, punch SNA Investor Radio in Google, uh, and, and uh, you know, you'll see the link. It's to iTunes, and we also have a SNA uh, radio site called stansberryradio.com where you can go right right to our podcast and, and listen in, which is uh, published once a week every Wednesday. Oh, uh-huh. very good. Okay, so let's talk about the kind of small stocks particularly you like. And, and one of the major uh, attributes of them is uh, relatively high dividend payments, right? So how do you find these companies, and, and what are some of the industries uh, that they're in these days that have, Growth potential and some decent dividends. Well, it's it's a good question because we're told, at least you know, when I was told, and even when I was younger, you know, if you buy the Coca Colas and the McDonalds, uh, you know, they'd have great dividends, and you know, those capital gains keep kicking in. If you compound, you'll be a millionaire one day. And people who have bought those companies uh, 20 years ago are probably millionaires today. They've done fantastic. But the truth is, you know, when you're looking at, at, at any single company, even Coca-Cola McDonald's, it's important to buy at the right price. And I think today, you really don't want to buy these stocks. If you have them, hold on to them. It's not that I don't like them, but you're looking at earnings, and Coca-Cola and McDonald's are trading at 16 times and 17 times forward earnings. They're real expensive because it's very hard to find yield today, and a lot of people are forcing their money into a lot of these you know, big industry-leading stocks. But there's actually a list of small cap stocks that really people don't talk about, and there's there's probably more than a hundred of these. Doesn't mean that all a hundred of these are buys. But if you look at Coke and McDonald's, they've been raising their dividends for over 20 years on an annual basis, uh, and these companies are great. But there's a lot of small cap stocks that that have been doing the same. Two of those names that that I like today, uh, one of them is RPM International. The chemical company, they make uh, specialty coating sealants. Uh, you probably use some of their brands, Rustoleum, uh, DAP for, for sealants. Uh, the company, uh, over the past 30 years, they've made more than 100 acquisitions of smaller companies. So they've been around for, for a long time. Uh, over the past 25 years, they've, they've managed to have more than 10% gains annualized, both on sales and net income. 
And, you know, if you're an analyst like me or if you're following stock, it's very difficult to grow your sales by more than 10% this year. I'm sure you're not going to find a lot of large caps, you know, S&P 500 companies with market caps more than probably about $75 billion that are doing that today. Uh, and it's interesting that these companies do that, and you're looking at their dividend, and they've actually raised their dividend for 38 consecutive years. Again, so a lot of people don't know RPM. They pay a, a nice 3.5% yield. It trades at 13 times earnings, so it's, it's a lot cheaper than McDonald's or Coke's. But what you're getting here is more growth, and you're getting a company here with a small market cap of $4 billion that has a chance to get taken over from larger companies. Is one thing that we could all agree on is that their balance sheets are stronger than ever. They're very strong. Uh, they may have been taking out debt at a very, very low weight to, to, to increase the cash on their balance sheets, but they have a lot of cash on their balance sheets, and they're starving for growth right now. And if you have a company like this, RPM, I just think it has much, much more potential if you're looking to hold a company like a McDonald's or a Coke, or you know, if you're telling your kids to hold a company for 20 years, I'd rather be holding RPM than Coke, hold McDonald's, because I think, you know, just like when you see Microsoft over the past 10, 12 years, if you bought this stock, you didn't really make money because you're buying it at the wrong time. If you bought it in 1998, 97, you're doing fine with Microsoft. But it's important to understand that you have to buy these companies at the right time because even though their dividends are 3 or 4%, a lot of those gains come from capital gains, and I don't see those huge capital gains from McDonald's and Coca-Cola trading at 16 times, 17 times forward earnings when the average S&P 500 company is trading at what? Probably around 14 times earnings today. So talk a little bit about the power of compounding. You have a dividend in the case of RPM that's going up for 38 years straight. What is the? Can I give us a sense of the power of compounding if you reinvest that dividend that's rising all the time? How can yeah. that really add up over the long term? Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable when you look further and further out. I mean, uh, just if you're looking... Uh, if you're compounding returns, say, you know, if you're investing $10,000 at 10% annually over time, and, you know, we've seen these charts so many times, but, you know, if you're looking at one year, 10%, it's $1,000, it's 11000 But, you know, the following year, it's not, it's not the $10,000. It's, uh, you know, you're earning more money on that $11,000. So they keep compounding and compounding. By the second year, your money is worth $12,100. If you're looking five years out, if you're looking 10 years out, this number keeps growing and growing where, you know, within 20 years you're talking about a $10,000 investment at a 10% rate. You're looking at 10000 growing into almost $70,000. If you go out 40 years, which is a, a long time, we all know, like I said, if you have kids and they're 20, 25 years old and they're looking to buy the next McDonald's, or looking to buy the next Coca-Cola, that can earn 10% annually. If you're looking 40 years, you're talking about, a $10,000 investment turning into $450,000. So when you compound and you keep adding these dividends in, coupled with companies that are able to grow by 10%, again, it's going to be very difficult, especially even for utility companies. Their stock prices have gone up so much, and they've come down a little bit because people are seeking dividend, and we have a low interest rate world. It's very difficult. I don't see these companies generating 10% annual returns, even with their dividend, for a long period of time. That's the current prices. But companies like RPM, I do see that. These are companies that you want to hold, hold forever for the last so is that years. True? Most of your stocks are pretty long-term holds. They're not short-term trades. They're things you'd get into and reinvest for a long time. Not most of them, but some of them. I mean, I wanted to publish this issue, which is a little different for us, because I think people are seeking income out there, and I don't want to see people make mistakes by, by purchasing companies that are 17, 18, 19 times forward earnings. So I published this issue and said, listen, just just take a look at this and see, and I haven't found one thing wrong with this strategy or one reason why you wouldn't purchase these companies. Again, brand-name companies, you use their products, they've been raising their annual dividend just as long as McDonald's and Coca-Cola, except they're cheaper, they're smaller companies, and they're growing faster. 
So I just think longer term, this is a better alternative. So I used the opportunity in my last issue to publish, uh, you know, something on RPM and, and a couple other stocks that work. What are some other ones that fit that criteria of the uh, low valuation and, and constantly raising their dividends? Uh, another one is called Diebold. Diebold is an interesting company because uh, it's been raising their dividend for the past 59 years. The company is 150 years old. And what's interesting about Diebold is, uh, you know, it's been around since 1859, and its CEO from 1944 to 1951 was Elliot Ness, the famous prohibition era crime fighter helped put Al Capone in jail. That's all the company is. Uh, which is fantastic, but everybody has used their product. Uh, they're the largest maker of ATM machines. Uh, they operate in 90 different countries, employ nearly 17,000 people. I mean, you talk about a company that has a $2 billion market cap uh, and pays a 4% yield, but more important, it, it's growing faster. It's growing a lot faster than these other companies. Again, growing a, at least at, at 10% rate. You're looking at their markets when it comes to ATMs. ATMs are rapidly changing. There's a big recycle period where you know you can put your checks in now and they just scan your checks. And also, you're looking at the banking industry as a whole. There's a lot of regulation that's going to come. I think we could all agree on that. And the banks are looking to cut costs. And one of the things is they're using more automation. So I think that's really good for ATMs and not so good for the unemployment picture. But this company is, is just right in the right place. It's not just ATMs. If you've ever been through a Walgreens or a CVS, you know, that box that they pull out and the whole security system, the cameras, they build that whole entire thing. So yeah, this is a company where you use their products every day. You don't even know it. Again, 4% yield, growing a lot faster than, than most of the large caps. And, you know, it's been raising its dividend for the past 59 years. To put that in perspective, that's the longest consecutive streak of any company in North America. It's talking about a small cap. You know, you usually hear that thing from Coca-Cola, McDonald's, uh, Pfizer. It's actually Diebold. So you know, it's a list of these companies, and it's important to, to buy them at the right times. And even with this company, you know, we're buying it. We're able to buy it at 12 times forward earnings, strong balance sheet, 4% yield. Again, it, it, the alternative, uh, you know, compared to buying the Coca-Cola McDonald's, which are much more expensive, I think these companies are, are so much better buy. So that's why I published that small cap issue. One of your trends that you follow is what you call the Eagle Diesel trend. Uh, can you basically tell us what is the Eagle Diesel trend before we start to get to some of the players in that. That's, uh, we, we say Eagle Diesel because we're newsletter writers and we want to make things sound a little bit more exciting than they are. So, I mean, if you tell people, oh, if you write a newsletter and say, I like Microsoft, you buy it, no one's going to buy your newsletter. So, we call it Eagle Diesel and it's just a, a fancy way of saying LNG, liquefied natural gas. And there's a massive trend taking place with fracking. Uh, I've, uh, I've been fortunate enough to, to drive through the Eagle Ford with, with experts, uh, 600 miles and watch, you know, the whole fracking process and, you know, visit different companies. Uh, it, it's amazing how much natural gas we have. It, it seems like we almost have an unlimited supply. If it's natural gas is $8, I think we would produce, you know, as much natural gas as possible. And, you know, they, they just started drilling. Yeah, they started drilling half a mile, a mile. Now it's two miles. I think this technology is still in its infancy where we drill three, four, five miles down, which is, you know, more expensive. That's why if natural gas prices go even higher, I think we'll produce even more natural gas. And it's created uh, a situation where there's a balance or an imbalance between diesel prices and, or, and natural gas prices where there's almost a $2 differential. Now, coupled with that, the cost of natural gas engines have come down dramatically uh, to the point where you're seeing some of the largest trucking fleets in the world from Walmart to Coca-Cola changing their fleets over the natural gas because they're saving millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. We're seeing this take place now, and there's a lot of companies we recommend it to benefit from this, like Clean Energy Fuels. They make the fueling stations, uh, Chart Industries, uh, GTLS is a symbol. They make all the, uh, the storage facilities for LNG. 
you're looking at Shinier Energies is exporting natural gas. They're going to be one of the first companies to export natural gas. Uh, that facility was set up 15 years ago to actually import natural gas. That tells you how crazy the market's been, how different the fundamentals have changed in the industry. But we call that whole trend Eagle Diesel, and we have a list of companies that would benefit. And we, we've done incredible on, on, on a lot of our recommendations because we were early to this trend. I still think it's in its infancy. So even though they've had moves, you still think there's lots to go in that area? Well, it, not every stock. I mean, we've had some nice moves, but what's good about us is is we bought Westport Innovations at a low price, and we took 140% gains. Uh, the stock really came down, had a couple of bad quarters. We bought it again and made 40%. And it's not that we want to trade these. I don't want to get people uh, into my newsletter to trade these stocks, but the amount of moves that you're seeing, as I explained in, in that first segment, where you're seeing stocks get hit 30 40% on a bad quarter, it's allowing us to have a portfolio of five or six of these companies and have a buy-up to price where we would buy them. So we've been able to take profits in these, and even more companies that are starting to develop now. So, you know, it's just a whole trend that we've been really in front of, and the fact that we have so many different companies that we look at, not every one of them are going to be a buy at the same time. So we're able to go in and out of these companies at certain times, and we're just, you know, watching them at all times. Hopefully they get a pullback, and, you know, we'll recommend them. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Frank Curzio. Uh, he writes two newsletters, The Small Stock Specialist and The Phase One Investor. Uh, the newsletter company that he does this with is Stanbury, Stansbury and Associates. Um, and they also have stansburyradio.com. You can see them that way. And there's a phone number to find out more about it, which is 888-261-2693. We'll be back after this. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network join patricia raskin the host of positive living on VoiceAmerica.com monday 11 pacific this program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic engaging and passionate life patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting giving forgiving and miraculous living so tune in and call to positive living mondays at 11 pacific time right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Rivez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Frank Curzio. Uh, he is the editor of the Small Stock Specialist and Phase One Investor Newsletters, uh, run by Stansbury and Associates. Welcome back to the show, Frank. Oh, thank you. Glad to be back. Tell us a little bit about Phase One Investor and how is that different from the Small Stock Specialists? Phase One Investor is a really cool newsletter. It has a very, very high price tag. It's five thousand dollars a year to subscribe. Uh, the reason why it's so expensive is it's a newsletter that focuses on microcap stocks, stocks that have the potential to go up 300% or more. And you say, well, you know, how do you find these stocks? And I've been fortunate, as I explained in the past two segments, that, you know, I've worked for, for a lot of people and built up a, a great contact list in, in the resource industry, tech, biotech. I've been on CNBC, Fox Business News. And what we do is we use our extensive contact list to, to get, you know, the latest trends, get these people to talk about their latest trends. We go out all over the world uh, to, to visit these companies. Uh, we've planned a 10-day trip to China where we visited five different cities. And it's not just, you know, going to Hong Kong, Shanghai. We actually went to Xi'an and visited companies in Shenzhen uh, when they first developed. So, you know, our, that's our job to, to find companies like that. An example of that would be uh, a Sandstorm Gold. Uh, that has a royalty streaming model. You might have heard of companies like Royal Gold or Franco Nevada, which are big royalty streaming companies, basically finance companies that take an investment in projects and, you know, that don't worry about the costs. And when these projects develop, they receive a percentage of the mine over the life of it, whether it's 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, and these companies uh, have done fantastic. Well, Sandstorm Gold is a small company run by uh, by uh, uh, Mr. Watson is his name. He's a great guy. Uh, and we happened to meet him, and he started this company. He has a lot of experience in, in the industry. And we've just uh, been able to get on that train before anybody else. And it was funny because we heard uh, Watson get on, on, on TV on Mad Money with uh, Jim Cramer. And Jim Cramer is like, hey, you know, you got to buy this stock. It's great. And, you know, he was buying the stock at, at probably about 300% higher than when we bought it. So our job is to buy these stocks before they get to mainstream media, try to get the Netflixes before they go to 400, uh, try to get these latest technology things. And the way you do that is by having a good contact list of people you trust and have been in the industry for a long time. And it's a really great newsletter. A lot of research goes into it, and uh, we have a pretty good track record as well. What would be one or two of the stocks you're, you're liking now in Phase 1? In phase one, right now, one of the companies we, we just recommended, I don't know if uh, your audience saw the movie Extreme Measures. Uh, it's about a, a dad that uh, had a couple of kids, had a great career, and he found out that his kids had a, a disease called Pompe disease. And, you know, he's trying to find a cure. It's a disease that affects really young children. The result is usually that they, you know, they wind up dying because there's no cure for this disease. And he basically quit his job and started a biotech company, uh, got taken over by Genzyme. And now this gentleman has started another company focusing on pump disease called Amicus. The symbol's F-O-L-D. They had phase three results. They were predicted uh, to have pretty strong phase three results. And the company reported negative results. And shares came down trading about cash. And it was funny. The phase three results were only six-month results. They're going to report 12-month results. And they're going to report 18-month results, which... The, the FDA said that they're probably going to use. They're not probably, but they are going to use. So we're getting this drug almost for free, and they have a pipeline of other drugs that are fantastic, and it's a company that, that we're very high on. I'd probably wait for a pullback. We recommended it about a month and a half ago and up 40 50% on it. Uh, again, it's just a testament when, when you, know, you have the right contacts in these industries, and you know one of our contacts that works at Roche said, you know, Frank, you got to take a look at this company. If you could recommend it right away, this sell-off is, is just incredible. It went down 50%. We recommended it, and a month later, we're up 40%. Uh, again, it's a small-cap company, and these are, you know, the ideas that we look for in Phase 1. Again, it has a high price tag, so I don't want to give too much away, but that's one of the companies that we recommended. Sure. 
you also talk about uh, the above-ground mining boom, or what you call tropospheric gold. How, how does that work, and how does one play that trend? Well, that trend, it's an old trend from, from a while ago, and I was kind of playing the, the recycling companies, how um, the recycling companies were doing very well at the time. We recommended them, but right now we haven't done well in those two, two companies where scrap price melt really has come down tremendously. But if you look at the point of that trend now, I think it's fantastic where, you know, by law, a lot of these states passing, passing new laws saying that, you know, you have to basically recycle these. They're almost funneling money to these companies where, you look at the cell phone industry and how many cell phones are produced, uh, you, you know, people throw out their cell phones every two years, and those have to be recycled. And when they're recycled, they have metals in them. And it's not big big metals or big amounts of gold, but when you put 20, 30, 40 million of them together, uh, think about it. Almost everyone in, in the U.S. over the age of 17 has a cell phone. Well, in two years, they're going to throw all them out, and this is a good play for recycling companies. We were early to the party, which basically means I was wrong. But these companies have come down tremendously because I underestimated how far scrap metal prices have come down. I thought I was buying them at a bargain at 20% discount. We stopped out, but right now they're incredible discounts. We might get back into these names. Another area you seem to like is gold uh, companies, uh, I guess, for production. But do you think long-term that gold is going to go up much higher from here, and how would you play it? I think as long as interest rates stay this low, I think you're going to have gold in this range, maybe uh, to the $2,200 range, to the $1,700 range. It's a big range, but I think we're going to see that over the next five years at least, and I think interest rates are going to remain low for, for a very long time. At least, you know, you don't have to believe me. You can listen to the Fed. They're going to keep them low for, for a considerable amount of time. So I think gold prices hold up. As gold prices, I mean, they just went up for, what was it, even a 12 or 13th straight year. They didn't really go up that much last year. But gold stocks in general, even the junior miners, got nailed. I mean, if you're looking from February to today, you know, February to February almost, uh, they're down 25 30%. A lot of individual names have got hit for 50%. And this is where it's important to know contacts in the industry because when you're looking at junior miners, it's one of the most riskiest sectors. It's, all, it's also one of the most rewarding. And this is one of the areas we focus on in Phase 1. And it's important to understand the management teams, know the people behind these companies. And sometimes these stocks, again, they'll come down. They're not generating any revenue, but they'll come down trading near cash, and they'll have amazing properties. And the way you know this is, one, by having good contacts in the industry, and, two, getting on a plane and going out there, talking to the CEO on these properties, whether in Canada, whether in South Africa, wherever they are, to understand that, hey, these properties are for real. They're not trading at cash. You're basically getting this entire property that could be developed easily for free. Uh, you're getting some amazing opportunities. It's a very risky sector. It's a sector that you lose a lot of money, so you want to have stop losses in. But right now, with these companies down so much, you're really able to find a lot of good ones in, in that area. And we're, we're doing well picking off a lot of these companies down 40 50% right now. Is it better to play it sometimes as the ETF, like uh, GDXJ, that's doing a broad, diversified portfolio of these junior miners? Yeah, it could be. I mean, that might be better if uh, if you don't have a subscription to, to something like Phase 1, which is very expensive. It's not for everybody, uh, mostly uh, accredited investors uh, are subscribers to this. But that might be a better way to play it if you don't have someone telling you about the different properties and separating the good companies from the bad ones and which ones are terrible, especially even in, like, rare earth minerals, which ones are good, which properties are for real. Are you talk about an industry that, you know, you, I, I, we, we talked to a guy who's fantastic. His name is Jeff. Doesn't want to, probably doesn't want to give me, uh, you know, give away his last name here, but he's been in this industry. He was talking about rare earths before anyone knew what a rare earth was. Uh, he made fantastic gains and probably sold some of these companies. I mean, bought them on a pennies at a dollar and sold them at four, five, six dollars. And then, you know, they went to ten. I mean, he might have been early, but now these companies are trading at a dollar right now. But just to have Jeff as a contact and say, Frank, you know, my guys know everything about these properties. I have my geologists visiting these things. 
it's very important. So unless you have somebody that, that has that kind of information that's helping you out, it probably would be better to, to just buy the ETF. Do, do you like the whole rare earths area? I mean, it had a big rise, a big fall. Uh, is, is that something that has good long-term potential? I don't know if it has long-term. It does have long-term potential, but I, the only problem with rare earths is you're seeing companies that are cheap, and I think people make the biggest mistake by just buying cheap companies. Cheap companies happen to get cheaper. If you're going to buy a cheap company, you have to have some kind of catalyst, some kind of growth catalyst. With rare earths, I just don't see the catalyst within the next 6 to 12 months that makes me want to buy these things, which means if you're buying companies that don't produce revenue, then you're more dependent on news flow. And if they don't have news flow, people get bored and they'll just sell these stocks and you'll see them gradually going lower and lower. So I think it's important to see, you know, what the catalysts are. Right now, I really don't see too many catalysts for rare earths, even though they're incredibly cheap. I don't see that. Now, you know, to, to flip, the, flip, flip it, it's, if you look at uranium, now they do have a catalyst. Uranium, if you're looking at the global index, is down 65%. I don't think I've ever seen an index down 65% in my life. Uh, which is incredible. It's basically telling you that Cameco, which is the main player, outside of that, everybody else is going to go bankrupt. Uh, now that Japan is saying that we're not completely going to phase out nuclear, it provides a little bit more of a catalyst. I mean, I, we all knew that Japan wasn't going to completely phase out nuclear, but the fact that they said it in September, if you look at that global uranium money index, it fell another 20 25%. So these companies are trading at dirt cheap valuations. You do have that catalyst. I think you're going to see a lot of European nations that overreacted after the nuclear disaster in Japan, I think they're going to say, you know what, we're not going to really phase out that much, places like Germany and France. That's going to provide a catalyst for a sector where, you know, all you need is the slightest good news, and these stocks are probably top 25 30%. That's probably the most depressed sector in the market right now. Yeah. What are some other areas that have decent – and what do you consider a high yield in the small cap space, considering short-term money is at zero, treasury bills and CDs are at zero? What, what do you consider a, a decent yield for a small cap stock these days? Uh, I think uh, at least 3.5%, 3, 3.5%. You want to make sure, because if you're going to take on that extra risk with small caps, you're definitely going to take on more risk buying a company like RPM or Diebold compared to McDonald's, uh, obviously. So if you're going to take on that risk, you want to make sure you're getting more growth and you want to make sure that yield is definitely higher than the S&P 500. So if I could find something 3 4%, that's fine. If you go higher than that, you have to be very, very careful. you got to make sure you're looking at cash flows. You've got to look at the payout ratios, uh, make sure they have a, you know, enough in earnings to pay out. Sometimes people say, well, you want to see a 75% payout ratio, uh, you know, whatever that percentage is. But I could tell you, no matter what company it is, if they suspend that dividend or cancel it, the stock's going to get hammered, even though nine out of ten times just the right move. They're conserving their capital. So a lot of income-oriented uh, funds have to sell the stock if they do that, if their dividend is in a certain amount or a certain yield. So you know, you want to be careful if you're looking at 5 6 7% yield. I mean, maybe you get them from some of the REITs. Again, you have to do a lot of research on them. A lot of REITs are expensive right now. You just want to be careful. Uh, you know, the five, so so six, what is the, the top level of payout ratio that would start making you nervous that they might cut the dividend? Uh, you know what? It, 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 I'd have to say it depends. If you're looking at 75%, if you're looking at anything within earnings that they can cover, you should be okay even if it's a dividend stock. But you have to look at, at future earnings because when you see that earnings number, a lot of people punch up Yahoo Finance and say, you know, if they earn a dollar in earnings and they're paying 75 cents in dividends, I think that's safe. You know what? Those are the past 12 months numbers. So you have to really look at the next 12 months. What's going on with this company? How are they generating revenue? What's their business model? Are they going to be able to continue to generate those earnings? Because if they see an earnings decline or if they take a charge or if those earnings go from a dollar to 65 cents, you're going to be in big trouble 
but that's something you can't really see looking at Yahoo Finance. So you got to be careful just looking at the payout ratios. You really have to look into the future. But I would probably say, you know, comfortably a 75% payout ratio if I know or if I have a good indication that a company's actually going to earn those earnings over the next 12 months. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Frank Curzio. Uh, he is the editor of the Small Stock Specialist and Phase One Investor Newsletters uh, put out by Stansbury and Associates. Uh, there's a radio show you can hear him weekly, which is stansburyradio.com. You can also find out about his newsletters at 888-261-2693. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Frank Curzio. He is the editor of the Small Stock Specialist Newsletter and the Phase One Investor Newsletter, published by Stansbury & Associates. Uh, they have a radio show you can listen to, which is at stansburyradio.com. And you can also find out more about his newsletters at 888-261-2693. Welcome back to the show, Frank. Some areas you're looking at are the kind of asset management area, particularly uh, doing leverage buyouts and private equity. What is interesting about that business and what are some plays there? One of my favorite plays is KKR. And, and I was looking into this sector because I was trying to look for a way to play the, the enormous asset sale that you were seeing in Europe. As we knew, Europe was terrible last year. It's still terrible in bad shape this year, even though you've seen some stocks uh, come back. 
But the same thing happened here, and it's replaying in Europe, where they just over leverage and due to you know crazy regulations, the first thing they say is you, know, you have to sell off these assets and shrink your balance sheet. Well, not every asset is actually terrible. That's why you're seeing over the past probably two years, the biggest hedge funds in the world, the biggest private equity companies in the world, they're all in Europe buying these assets, which is fantastic. So I couldn't find any individual plays, and it's very hard playing it off the bond market. But one of the ways you can play is, is KKR, which is a leveraged buyout firm, a fantastic uh, management team. I mean, the company could, you know, just they'll announce that they're going to raise uh, $15 billion from mortgage equity fund, and, uh, you know, in, in three weeks they have $15 billion. Uh, you're talking about a lot of heavy hitters. I just think what's out there today and what you're able to buy, especially even in small cap area and even some of the mid-cap companies, uh, they're going to get fantastic deals right now. People are dying for cash, I think, and, and even in Europe, they're able to, to purchase a huge amount of assets on the cheap for like 30 to 40 cents on a dollar. It's basically given to them uh, just because these are the guys that have the cash that could do it. So I think uh, everyone should own at least one asset manager. And for me, I just thought KKR was the best one based on price, the management team, and, and valuation. So is the way they make money is they buy these high-quality assets cheap, and then they're able to turn them around or sell them, and that's where they're making money on it? Yes, and that's just one phase of their business. I mean, they have different portfolio holdings. You'll see them uh, invest in, in a lot of areas, uh, almost every single sector across. Even you're looking at the auto sector as well that, that they'll buy, and they'll be able to buy bonds. It's just a lot of financial engineering that you don't see. It's not like you're just buying a, a, a stock and you're holding it and, and, and it goes higher. A lot of these companies – you know, able to get high-yield bonds uh, at credible prices, and, you know, their research teams are 100, 200, 300 strong. They go there. You know, they're used to restructuring companies. They know everything about it. I mean, you know, if you look at uh, Bill Ackman and you look at what he did with general growth properties, it's just amazing. You know, you know, he bought the yield absolutely nothing. He made 1,000% returns. And, you know, Ackman's been wrong on a few things in Target. He may be wrong on Herbalife. But the fact that he's able to do that, a lot of individual investors don't have access to that. So in a way to get access to it, either you have to be worth, you know, a couple of you know, tens of millions of dollars and, you know, you, you have accounts at Goldman, or if you're an individual investor, you could buy some of these uh, asset managers that do this, like, like KKR. You also like to play stocks, particularly smaller stocks that are, had a major fall, I guess you'd call them fallen angels, where they were the, the darling of the ball and then they fell dramatically. How do you know when it's, it's time to get in or, or it's, it's not going to make it at all? It's simple. When I recommend these stocks, that I get 100 emails telling me I'm crazy, I'm almost guaranteed that it's going to be a big winner. And on the flip side, if I recommend one of these stocks and everybody says, Frank, this is a great deal, I get really, really nervous. But to be honest, it, it takes experience. I've been in this business for a long time. You can't always find a bottom. But what you want to look for when buying these stocks is, uh, one, valuations, how much cash they have, how much assets they have. And you also want to look for insider buying. I mean, if a stock's down 35 40% and the insiders aren't buying, I really don't want to buy either. So I think seeing the insiders who have been around this company for maybe 5, 10 years, CEO, CFO, buying stocks, it kind of tells me, you know what, it might not be the absolute bottom, but I don't see much risk there. And it seems like there's plenty of upside because these insiders already own a lot of stock. The fact that they're going into open market and purchasing makes me feel a little bit better, especially when a company comes down. But and the key point here is don't don't hate the stock, hate the stock price. Like some people look at Facebook and you know they're just like it's a horrible company, it's a horrible company, and it went down from you know forty, thirty, twenty, nineteen. It's a horrible company. Now it's sitting at thirty two. So you know, and even companies like Groupon that people hate, where you know you see them come down dramatically, eighty percent from its IPO price when they trade almost near cash. Groupon is a pretty cool company. It wasn't it wasn't a good stock price at you know fifteen twenty dollars, but you know two three dollars you're seeing hedge funds jump in. 
these are the sell-offs that I said that I'm seeing even in small caps where, you know, these companies have come down tremendously and so many people just, you know, they, they hate these stocks so much and even the analysts who jump on board and just completely sell these stocks that all you need is these companies report in-line earnings and they're going to pop 20 25%. So I'm having a lot of fun in small caps. So other than Groupon and Facebook, are there some other fallen angels that have fallen dramatically you think have some value today? Uh, one of them, let me see. I mean, I, I like Dybul, which I mentioned earlier. I mean, that stock fell 40% from its highs. You don't even realize it's a good quality company. Uh, if you just punch into normal screening, maybe uh, Finviz is for free. I'm trying to give a free site that has screening. Uh, you know, just punch in a lot of stocks that are down 30, 40% and go over the reasons why they missed. I mean, if they missed because of slower traffic trends, you want to avoid. If they missed because projects are going to be delayed and they're a good company, then maybe you're like, wow, this is really oversold. Maybe it's a good opportunity. So you have to see the reasons why they missed. You have to do a little bit of homework. Today, we're fortunate to have access to conference calls. I mean, you can have the same information as a sell side analyst. You get the same call at the same time. It's one of the best tools you could use for business. Listen to these calls. Every quarter, they give you an update on business, the past three months, what they expect in the next three months. Uh, very, very important. If you listen to those calls, you'd be well ahead of the game and be able to pick a lot of winners. Since you spent so much time with Jim Cramer, I think people might be interested in the, the backstory there. What is it like uh, dealing with him? And you research a, a stock. Does he automatically go with what you uh, say, or does he have his own opinions? He, he battles back and forth with you. Kind of, what is it like giving him research on stocks that he's following so many? It, it's not easy. I mean, I got fired from Jim Cramer, so it can't be that easy. And I was up for four <laughs> years, and he was invited to my wedding. So I, we're still friends and talk on email. Uh, we just had difference of opinions with stocks, but you know, he's passionate about what he does. I don't regret one second working for him because I had more access to, to stocks and his contacts. I mean, he would call me and say, Frank, you know, these guys want me to, to ring the bell at the stock, New York Stock Exchange. You're on a goal. Could you go down there for me? Could you meet this team of uranium analysts at, at you know, uh, a great fake house because I can't make it? I mean, having that access is just unbelievably incredible, and you're able to build up your contact list. But it's difficult. It's difficult, as you say. But, you know, it, it was a great experience, and I would say uh, any research analysis is definitely worth doing because, you know, you get thrown into the fire, and you learn a lot, a lot of stuff, so it's pretty cool. So is he making his decisions uh, based on good fundamentals, or is it kind of his gut feel? I mean, he can't possibly know all these numbers on all these thousands of stocks. It must be a whole research thing behind them. How does he make his decisions on uh, buy, sell, or hold? Uh, I, you know, I can't really speak for Jim. I can tell you that he, he talks to probably every, almost every CEO in, in S&P 500, most of those companies. A lot of those companies like going on his show because, you know, they get a lot of attention. But if you look at his contact list and, you know, the guys he talks to, and, you know, it's nice to have a direct line to a CEO when he says, hey, you know what, you know, our business is strong right now. Things are really good. Uh, you know, that's a pretty good contact to have, and then he'd probably give it down to his research analyst to break down the numbers and see what he likes and then probably come to a decision, at least when I was there. Again, I haven't been there for three years, but uh, and I don't want to speak for him. But a lot goes into, you know, the, that contact list that he has, which is uh, which is phenomenal. So it's similar to what you're doing now, actually. You have contacts that the average investor would never be able to get access to. Exactly, and the, the help that that provides is unbelievable because it, it, what it does is it helps me fr from making mistakes. When I could say, you know, they'll say, Frank, you know what, don't, you know, I don't like this guy. I've dealt with him before. Hey, it's very, very important to be able to talk to people, and you know, you build up that trust, you build up that honesty, uh, and it's great to have the, this contact list. And you know, they can call me any time, any hour of the day, and I'd be there for them. That's the way they are with me, and it's pretty cool to have those relationships, which I'm sure you have a, a ton of them that being in, in this industry for such a long time as well. Absolutely. Terrific. Well, so much. I appreciate it. Um, my guest this hour has been Frank Curzio. Uh, his newsletter is called The Small Stock Specialist and also Phase One Investor. 
Uh, you can find out more about them at stansburyradio.com. Uh, there's also a phone number, 888-261-2693, to find out more about his newsletters. Frank, you gave us some very good ideas, so thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show. Uh, my pleasure, John. Thank you. And thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.